The journey of Christian maturity involves an intentional life that is an ordered and collaborative effort with God. Join us for a fall series, Formed, the reshaping of a life. Good morning, Woodland Hills. So good to see you and be with you in worship and to hear the word and stuff. Um, I think we should be giving out extra righteousness points this morning because this is one of the last good days we're going to have for about five months. So, and you guys sacrifice it to, to, to be here. Don't say, well, it's reality. And, uh, and, and yet you chose to be here. So wonderful. Extra righteousness points for you. All right. There you go. Feel proud. Um, before we get into the message, uh, a few preliminary things. One is that uh, we're halfway through this series on Formed right now. So if you're ever thinking about getting this little booklet, this would be the time to do it. Um, thing we put together to supplement the sermons. Uh, there's some uh, spiritual exercises here, some reflection points, things you can talk about in a group or, or, or do alone. Uh, it's really a, a nifty little cool groovy book. And so you might want to check that out. It's out in the gathering area. I think they're charging $5 for it, but we're not making a penny off of it. Um, we just want to be equipping people to experience the series we're going through as well as as good as possible. Second thing is this. We uh, had a first ever in the history of Woodland Hills Church weekend last week. Um, put, put that slide up on the offering. Check that thing out. God has parted the Red Sea. Amen. Amen. Uh, we just got a couple of really significant uh, gifts that came in. And just praise God. You know, as we're going into this new season, uh, we're really trusting... We sang about it earlier. We're, we're, you know, he makes us brave to step out on the, uh, step out from the shore and uh, step into the waves, and we're doing that. And uh, it's just reassuring to see that God is moving in the hearts of His people, and and uh, people are responding, and the financial needs of the ministry are going to be met. Um, and we just praise God for that. We just praise God for that, and we thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, it is how when each one of us who are called to this body sacrifice uh, that this this thing goes forward. And we become the body that God knows we can be. Now, I want to give a little cautionary word here. Some might be thinking it's possible. Oh, we've got a few people with deep pockets here. Well, I guess that doesn't mean we have to give. Uh, you know, we, let them take care of it. They have the gift of giving, not me. <laughs> That's always the gift we want to attribute to say. Folks, please don't think like that. Um, here's the thing. Our motive for giving it should just come out of uh, the fullness of our heart. And, and God calls us. To, to live in this and to sacrifice for the kingdom, not on the basis of how good it's doing or how bad it's doing, but just because that's what it is to follow Jesus. Amen? Uh, and so let that be your motivation. And please never, 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 ever, 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 ever think that we'll ever have more than we know what to do with. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, the thing is, we've got a God-sized vision for what God wants to do. And uh, there's, there's always good stuff we can put the finances to. Amen? Uh, it, it really comes down to this. Uh, can we do it sooner or later? And uh, if we have more than we uh, budgeted for, we can just do it sooner rather than later. I'd rather do it sooner than later. What do you say? So uh, this isn't the time to take the foot off the pedal. No, let's put it down to the floor and let's go for it. All right, amen. Amen. Okay, good. We are in this series on, uh, on formation, spiritual formation. And you may recall from two weeks ago, I pointed out there that the thing about being formed into the, the image of Christ isn't about becoming something you aren't already. If you're surrendered to Jesus, um, everything you're ever going to be, you are. That's why the New Testament says some spectacular things about what it is to be in Christ. You're holy, blameless, spotless, seated with him in heavenly places. God gives you everything up front. Um, but we come into this, of course, with a self and a brain and habits that have already been formed by the world. It's, our, it's what the Bible calls our old self. 
And the goal of spiritual formation isn't about acquiring something new. It's rather about getting rid of everything that's old. All right? it, it, the, the analogy we used was Michelangelo. Uh, when he, um, he didn't see himself as creating a sculpture. Rather, he said that when he looked at a block of marble or block of rock, he saw, and he thought God gave him this, he saw the sculpture in the rock. It was already there, perfectly formed. His job was not to form it, it's already there, but rather to remove all the rock that's not yet. And that is exactly what the Spirit does in our life. You are the true you. You are already. And you're never going to add to that or improve on that. But you're encased in a lot of flesh rock. A lot of the old self, old, the lies we believe, the habits we cultivate, all that old self-centered stuff, that's not the real you. And the job of spiritual formation is to yield to the Spirit and work with the Spirit to get rid of all of that so that the true you can shine. That's what we're, we're talking about here, all right? Um, now, there is in church history uh, a number of spiritual disciplines uh, that uh, the church has taught that help in that process of removing the rock and shining forth with the old self. And we can't possibly begin to talk about all of these here. I'm, I'll give one more book plug. Uh, the best book I know of on this topic uh, is by Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, an incredible man of God. But it's called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And uh, understanding how God changes lives. And I encourage you, uh, if, if you want to go deeper with this stuff, check this book out. Um, it's really helpful because we can't cover this all here uh, this morning. But basically, this, the disciplines break down into two categories. There's the disciplines of no and the disciplines of yes. The disciplines of no are about uh, positioning us to be empowered by the Spirit to say no to all the rock that is not us. To say no to, to all that needs to be said no to. And the disciplines of yes are about being empowered by the Spirit to, to affirm and to manifest everything that needs to be affirmed and manifested. The true you. So there's the no and the yes. Uh, I'll talk about the yes next week. So this morning is the no. The disciplines of no. And I want to start with this. And I've shared this before, and so if you've been here for a while, you may have heard this, and so I'll keep it brief. But I want to start by sharing my first spiritual experience, my first God encounter. Uh, a lot of you know that uh, my mom died when I was two, and my dad, kind of out of desperation, married this lady uh, who became my stepmother, of course. And she had a thing where when she got mad, she snapped and would become abusive and uh, had nasty forms of punishment. And I would, as a young boy, when I got a beating or some other form of her twisted punishment, I would often decide to run away from home. And we had a forest by our house, uh, about a block from our house, and that's where I'd run to. I'm going to run away. Although I always managed to make it back by supper time, but I was going to run away for sure. And so I go into this forest, and in, the, in, in, the, in this forest, there was this uh, opening I found. It, was, uh, it, it created like an oval of light on the ground. And it's otherwise kind of dark forest. And it was always warm in contrast to the forest that could otherwise be, be kind of cold. It was a warm oval of light. And, and that was my safe place. I love that place. It was a magical place. Even when I think back on it, 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 it has that magical quality to it. And that's where I'd run. I even had toys buried out there. Because uh, when you want to run away from home, you don't want to, you know, leave your toys back there. And so I, had, I, I was packed and ready to go. <laughs> I would bury my toys. And I thought I was the only one who knew about this place. It was my special place. In fact, I sometimes wondered if maybe the place didn't even exist until I got into the forest and the forest kind of created it for me. Uh, 
Yeah, I was a little bit of a twisted kid, but, but uh, that was my special place. So this one time, I was maybe five, maybe six years old, and I took a beating for something. I don't know what it was, but it was particularly bad because I remember having to hold cold packs to my head. And I was crying so hard that you, where you can't breathe. And so I ran away from home, and I went to my place in the woods, this oval of light. Um, and I laid down, and I at some point fell asleep crying. But then I woke up. And I have no idea how long I was asleep. But when I woke up, I woke up to the sound of the wind breezing through the pine trees and the evergreen trees, creating that, this kind of lonely but beautiful whistle. I want you to know what I'm talking about. I couldn't find, I searched a long time trying to find the exact, the exact sound I heard, and I couldn't find it, but this is as close as I could get. Uh, right now, I want you to imagine. Close your eyes and imagine that you're a child again, and you're waking up in the middle of the forest, around an oval of light. You're waking up, and, and you hear this sound. I just think that's beautiful. Um, my, my experience had more of the high-end pitch, that, that higher whistle, shh, kind of thing, but, but it was just beautiful. I was mesmerized by it. And I kept my eyes closed as I'm listening to this wind. And then I began to hear, or think I hear, voices uh, whispering in that wind. It's kind of bustling. Shh, but I could make up voices. And I even could occasionally hear my name being spoken. It'd be like, they always say Greggy, because that's what it was called back then. I could hear my name. And for some reason, even though I didn't know what they were saying, I was, as I'm laying there, my face still sore. I was overwhelmed with a sense of peace, complete and total peace. And I had this complete confidence this assurance that it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I really think, as, as I reflect back on this, I, I don't know if it was angels or the Holy Spirit or what, but I had a God encounter there. I'm really convinced of it. And one that I desperately needed at this point in my life. And the thing was this. There's nothing in my life that would predispose me to have a positive experience with angels at that point. I didn't like angels as a kid. I grew up with a chip on my shoulder against angels. My grandpa tells me that, that when my mom died, um, I, for, I asked, you know, where'd she go? And I was told that the angels took her. And he says that for four or five months, I would rage demanding the angels take, to bring her back. I was pissed at angels. Did not like them. Uh, they were thieves of mothers. And then on top of that, to make matters work, worse, we had this picture in, my, uh, uh, in our home of this guardian angel watching over these two kids. It turns out it's kind of a, a, a famous uh, painting, Heilig Schutzengel, which uh, means blessed uh, guidance or guardianship or something like that. Now, it, it, I think it was because of that picture that I grew up. And when I was young, I had the, the assumption that all angels were girls. I just assumed that all angels were girls. Because even the guy ones, they have long, you know, locky hair. Uh, and, and so I thought all of them were girls. And I was told that all angels are always watching over you. And so I thought that there are girls watching when I'm going to the bathroom. And it really felt embarrassing. <laughs> Even as a kid, I had a screwed up theology. It, you know, it explains a lot, doesn't it? Um, it, it? But yeah, it's like, 
Can't a guy get any privacy in this universe? So angels, they take your mom, they're nosy. I didn't like angels. And so to have a positive experience with angels, um, or at least what I interpreted as being angels at this age, it, it just wasn't what you'd expect, which inclines me to think that this was a, a real encounter with God, uh, and one that, that really gave me an assurance that I needed. Now, I share that because uh, it, it, it sets a context for, it explains why the story we're going to look at here this morning is, I think, so moving and so important for us. It's the story of Elijah's, really his first personal encounter with Yahweh on Mount Horeb, all right? And so it's found in 1 uh, Kings 19. Now, I, I want to set it up first. Um, we got to go back to this wicked, wicked, nasty, really nasty pagan queen named Jezebel. You've heard about Jezebel. Some of you have. Jezebel. And Jezebel hated Elijah and had declared a fatwa on him that he, he, he was going to be killed. And the reason she was so mad is because you've read in, in 1 Kings 18, they had this contest between Yahweh's uh, people and, and uh, the Baal's people. Baal was the god that Jezebel followed, and they had a whole religion around it. And so the prophets of Baal and Elijah had this contest on Mount Carmel. And the contest was, and I don't know why these pagans ever agreed to it, but the contest was whose god will send down fire from heaven and incinerate this bull uh, and offer, as they offer it up as a sacrifice. Well, the prophets of Baal, uh, they, they dance around, they scream, and they shout, and they're trying to get their gods to send on fire, and nothing happens. And Elijah starts taunting them. Uh, it's really pretty humorous if you read it. At one point he says, uh, hey, scream a little louder. Maybe, maybe Baal's uh, on the toilet. And maybe he's busy. He's occupying himself. And, uh, and it wasn't very nice, but everyone was mean back in those days. So um, nothing happens, but then Elijah prays the Lord, and his fire comes down, and boom. So that already would tick Jezebel off because he clearly showed that her prophets are false prophets or at least weak prophets. But then Elijah does something that really ticks her off. And this was not something that Yahweh told him to do. He just did it because he had a mean streak going through him. Uh, he had all those prophets killed. Had all the people rally behind him and he killed 400 prophets. And so Jezebel is really, really ticked. Elijah gets the word that Jezebel wants to kill him. And you'd think a guy who just called on fire from heaven wouldn't be intimidated by a puny, wicked queen. But he is. Unfortunately, Elijah is human, and humans are often, you may have noticed, not entirely consistent in applying their theology. So um, uh, he, gets, he gets really depressed. In fact, he gets suicidally depressed. He goes down by this tree. He's not going to eat. He's just going to die. He says, Lord, just take me. I want to die. I'm all alone in the world. Really sad. He falls asleep at some point, and an angel comes and wakes him up and says, dude, you got to eat because you got to go on a long journey. Uh, you got to go over to Mount Horeb. It's about a 40-day journey. Mount Horeb, by the way, is, was called in the Bible the mountain of God. And uh, all ancient Near Eastern people back in those days believed that the gods lived on mountains. Um, they were mountain deities. And the Israelites apparently shared that assumption. And Yahweh, as a good missionary to this world, always meets people where they're at. And so... He plays the role of a mountain deity for a while. And so Elijah, if he wants to meet God, he's got to go to Mount, Mount Horeb. So he does. And that's where we pick up this story. Really interesting story. It says, starting with verse 9, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Which is kind of strange, because the Lord is what who sent the angel to get him to come here. But see, this is not for the Lord's sake. He asked this question for Elijah's sake. Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your promise to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. That's not entirely true. Uh, in fact, when this fire came down uh, and, and proving that Yahweh was the true God, a lot of Israelites converted. 
And he had a large following at this point. But see, when you're depressed, you tend to see the world as depressed. You delete out what's positive. You'll also notice here that, that uh, they say he's killed all, they've killed all the prophets. But Elijah's the one who just killed all of Jezebel's prophets. And when you're depressed, you tend to project your stuff onto other people. And all that is just to say, when you're really depressed, don't trust your own interpretation of the world. It's not, it's not quite as dark as you think it is. And um, if you're persevering it, you might want to talk to some people and get some help for that. But uh, we tend to see the world through depressed eyes when we're depressed. Then, moving on. That was, that was for free, by the way. No extra charge. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. That phrase, pass by, isn't just like a quick wave. It means to encounter someone, like, 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 like meeting them on, on a, a, a crossroads. And so this is the Lord saying, wait here and you're going to encounter the Lord. Now listen to this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, and now we hear it a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> what, a, what an interesting passage. What are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, I tend to think this is a vision that Elijah had. Because um, notice that it, he, he has to go to the mouth of the cave, the opening of the cave, and that's when he hears the voice. And that's after the fire and the earthquake and the mountain-shattering wind had happened. Which means all of that happened while he was in the cave, which means it had to be a vision. Plus, it's kind of hard to imagine an actual wind blowing apart a bunch of actual mountains. Uh, that, that could happen easily in a vision. And that's what God wants to show him. So I tend to think this was a vision that happened and that the mountains were still standing when he went to the mouth of the, mouth of the cave. But that aside, here's how it goes down. First, he experiences mountains blowing apart by this mighty wind and rocks being shattered. And if you had just been told, wait here, you're going to encounter God, and boom, all of a sudden, this wind is blowing apart mountains and shattering rocks, wouldn't it be natural to think that's what the Lord was referring to? Oh, the Lord just passed by. Wow, he's powerful. Even to this day, people refer to mountain-shattering events as acts of God, and our insurance policies even refer to mighty, disastrous events as acts of God, which really bugs me because it's bad theology woven into our legal documents, and you've got to sign those things. Yuck! But uh, be that as it may, you would think that that would be what the Lord was referring to, but it wasn't. As impressive as that was, the Lord was not in the wind. It was just a wind. And then he has, experiences this earthquake, and you would think if you were just told that Wait here, God's going to pass by. And then it comes an earthquake, you think, oh, that's what he was referring to. God can shake the earth. But as impressive as that earthquake was, it was just an earthquake. And then there's this fire that he experiences, and a lot of scholars argue that it, this fire parallels the fire he just called down in the previous chapter. That's part of what the Lord's getting at here. Uh, that, that supernatural fire that descends from, from the skies. And certainly if you had just done what Elijah did and you called down that fire, now when you see this fire, as the Lord says, wait here, the Lord's going to pass by, you certainly would think that that's what he was referring to, but it wasn't. No, the Lord wasn't in the fire. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. The Lord wasn't in uh, the rock-splitting wind. But after all that is done, after all the noise and the shaking and the moving and the heat and the wow and the spectacular and the ooh and the ahs and the pizzazz and the hoopla, once it's all done, then Elijah hears this gentle whisper. Now, the, the, the phrase in Hebrew comes from two words, bach, which means gentle or soft, and demama, like 
Your mama, my mama, well, this is the mama. And uh, it, it, means, it means blow or breeze, gentle breeze. In certain contexts, that those two words together can mean a whisper, but the, the, the natural meaning is that it's just a gentle breeze. And I think that's how it should be translated, and here's why. Notice that it's only after he hears this the mama that he goes to the mouth of the cave, and then he hears a voice. Here he just felt the breeze or heard a breeze. Maybe even... Maybe I'm projecting here, but it could be that he's hearing the voice in the breeze, similar to what I experienced when I was a kid in the forest at the age of five or six. But he hears this breeze, senses this breeze, and then he hears the voice. And the voice says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's only after he's done with all the pizzazz and noise and stuff that now he can hear the gentle breeze that whispers his name. Um, now ask the question, what is the point of all this? Why did God go to the trouble of giving him this vision where he has mountains splitting apart and earthquakes and fire coming down? What's the point of all that? And the answer I submit to you is found in the fact that the whole episode is sandwiched between the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? The first time Elijah's asked this, I, he could hear it in some sense, but I don't think he was in a position to really hear it and receive what the word was. Um, the word, it, it turns out, if you read on in this, this, this narrative, was about reassuring him that everything's going to be okay, and it was. But he wasn't ready to receive that initially. Uh, think about this. Elijah always was kind of a wow and pizzazz kind of a guy. Uh, he, he closely associated God with mountain-shaking kind of experiences, fire descending. He just had called down fire from heaven in the chapter before. Uh, this is the guy who, at one point, uh, used his divine power to bring a drought upon the land for three years and then used his power to call it off and bring rain. This is the guy who multiplied oil and, and food for this widow. This is the guy who at one point uh, parted the Jordan River. This is the guy who once raised the kid from the dead. I mean, there's a lot of wow, pizzazz, ooh, ah in that. And, 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 and for Elijah, he's closely associating uh, his, his relationship with God with that. The thing is, is that if you're trying to find God, and if you're trying to find life, and the wow, and the ooh, and the pizzazz, and the hoopla, and mountain-splitting stuff, and earthquakes, and, and fire descending, if that's where you're trying to find God or find life, you'll find that as soon as it stops, you're empty, and you're tired, and you get depressed. And this is what happened with Elijah. All of a sudden, okay, the show is over, and now there's a death threat on his life, and he wants to end it all. He's tired and depressed. Um, and so what the Lord is, is showing him here is, is that... Yes, God is capable of a lot of wow and ooh and ah. He's capable of a lot of great stuff, but he doesn't live there. He doesn't live there. And so if you want to go where God lives, you've got to find Mount Horeb and learn to get quiet and to listen. You've got to get away to the forest and find a special place uh, in your mind and, and lean into the breeze. And the breeze has your name on it. And we'll ask the question, what are you doing here? I'll say more about that a little bit later on. That's, you don't find God in the ooh and the ah and the wow and the pizzazz. If it happens, it happens, great. But, but no, the, the, he's found in that soft, gentle breeze with your name on it. Now, it applies, this, this, this uh, story, I think, applies to us in, in several ways. One is this. Uh, you may know people, I've known people, maybe you've been one of these people, who, who try to find God in the ooh, ah, and the wow, and the pizzazz, and the hoopla. These are folks who are always going around to the latest revival, trying to find more signs and wonders and more super fantastic stories and healings and, and people falling in the spirit and, and, and gold dust coming down from the ceiling and people's teeth turning to gold or, or pulpits splitting in two. And they're, they're into the sensational and the impressive and the wow 
because that's where God is. Now, I believe that signs and wonders are for today, and, and I, I would love to see Woodland Hills have more of them and more healings. Praise God. That's good. It puts God's glory on display and gives people a proof of the kingdom and all of that. Wonderful. But we've got to remember that God doesn't live there. You can't have a relationship with God that's based on that. Uh, thank God if they happen, but that's, that can't be the essence of our relationship. You can't have a transforming relationship with God that's based on the ooh, ah, wow, and the sizzle. That's like, that's like, okay, that's like trying to build a marriage on nothing more than sex. Uh, it's just not going to work. Okay, marriage counseling for couples. I really hope that, that your sex life is full of ooh, ah, wows, mountain breaking apart, rock shattering, earth shaking, fire coming down from glory land, fireworks all over the place. Yes, hallelujah. I hope that's true of you. If you want more advice on that, I hear Seth is quite the expert, and, uh, and so I can <laughs> talk to him. <laughs> For some reason, Jen is choking right now. I don't know why. What's going on with Jen over there? That's, that's his wife. Well, it's like they say, those who can do and those who can't teach. All right, so there. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> He'll get a chance to retell you next time he's up here. So, uh, yeah, okay, so that's wonderful. That's the sizzle, but that's not the steak. The, the meat of your relationship, the essence of the, the foundation has got to be something other than that. It actually happens when you have the gentle encounters, the, the, the soft voice, the communication. Guys, listen up. The communication where you listen carefully to the whispers. It's in the, the gentle gestures. It's in the kind words. It's in the little affirmations. That's what deepens a relationship, what, what grows a relationship. Uh, the other stuff is just icing on the cake. Good, but you can't base a relationship with, uh, with, with a person on it. And, and so it is with God. Yeah, the, there is the wall factor. He's capable of that. But uh, to relate to him, we've got to be finding that still small voice, that gentle breeze that has our name on it. So it applies in that way. If you're busy chasing God in the wall, well, then you're not going to be hearing that transforming, empowering, and reassuring breeze that whispers your name. Not only that, but, but you're going to find that um, um, you won't be asking the question, what am I doing here? You won't be hearing the Lord ask you the question, what are you doing here? Now, it doesn't just apply to people who chase revivals. It applies to all of us in some ways because the truth is that religious pizzazz isn't the only kind of pizzazz there is. In fact, the world is full of pizzazz. And we, in our fallen state, if we're not intentional about doing otherwise, we tend to gravitate towards that. We lean into it. We, we chase after the pizzazz. The new and the better, the, the more, the improve, what gives us a maximal life, the sensational, the impressive. You know, it, it grabs our attention, and we tend to chase after that. And it's nothing new. It goes back to the garden story, right, in Genesis 3, um, which is the story about all of us. It's not just once upon a time. It's, it's for us today. Adam and Eve, it says, initially they were content walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden. Uh, this is a, a story that initially is told to people who live in a very arid desert region. So the cool of the day was simply the best part of the day. It was dusk when the sun was setting, and that was the most enjoyable part of the day. And so the narrative is simply saying they walked with God in the best part of the day, and they were content with that. Then that nasty, nasty serpent shows up and says, Hey, Eve, psst, psst, I got a deal for you. Check out the tree. Wow. 
It is impressive. Look at that fruit. It is so delicious, and, and it can make you wise. You can be as wise as God. Just look at that thing. All the whole, Eve, Eve, you could be, be more than you are. You could have more than you are. You could do better than you're doing. What is, you know, how boring. You go for a walk with God every day. What are you, his house pet or something? Man, no, if you want to really live, if you want to be all you can be and actualize your full potential, it's in that tree. Look at it. Wow. And Eve looks at the tree and she starts to see it like a wow. The Bible tells us she, she sees that it was good. It wasn't good, but she sees that it's good. And that the fruit looked delicious and it could make her wise. And she gazes on it. And here's a, here's a little a bit of a wisdom that I think is worth the price of admission this morning. You might want to write this down. But the more you gaze at anything that you don't have, the better it starts to look. And the better it starts to look, the more you want it. And if you gaze at it more, you begin to feel like you absolutely need it. Like your life's empty without it. This is, this is how, how it works. We get hooked by the gaze. And, and so, so Eve buys into this gaze. And, and why should she settle for what she's got when she could have more? And uh, so she chases after the more, the wow, the sensational. And human beings have been doing the same thing throughout history. We, we, we chase after the more. Uh, something that's going to fill our life. Something that's going to just make it complete. Uh, for some folks, it's chasing after the religious more, the religious wow, the religious pizzazz. For others, it's just chasing after the, uh, the perpetually better job, the wow of a, of a higher status. And so they yank their families up with them and go wherever they want to go just to get the better job. Whatever it costs the family, well, so what. Uh, and they, they want to climb that totem pole of success. Wow, to be a somebody at that job. And for others, it's, it's, it's to make just all sorts of kinds of money, to have the finer clothes and the finer wine and the finer house and the better car and better boat. And, and so they get wow and they're dazzled by that and they chase after that. And for others, this is chasing after reputation or chasing after respect. Some people, uh, they, they chase after the wow of new sexual encounters. Oh, it's always got to be mixing it up. The wow, it, it gets boring if you don't have that. For others, it's chasing after a wow of a new high or a new kind of high or a higher high. And for others, it's just always chasing after the new, uh, new experiences, living on the adrenaline of the new. For a lot of folks, the wow they chase after is, is done vicariously through their kids. It's kind of a recent phenomenon. One that's usually associated with privilege. But uh, you find this phenomenon where the parents want their kids to live in a perpetual wow. It's a, it, life's always going to be exciting and, and give them every opportunity so they can be a wow. Who wants an ordinary kid? No, Johnny's going to be the next Mozart, right? So, so you want to pile on all these possibilities with them because who knows, one of them might hit and he could be a superstar in it. So they're doing all these activities and all these sports and trying out every possible instrument and you're running them around all over the place five nights a week. Meanwhile, you have hardly any time to have quality interactions with them, but you don't want your kid to miss out on a wow. And then there's a lot of folks who, uh, they chase us for the wow by looking at the, and experiencing the always impressive, always interesting, always exciting movie characters or characters on television. Kind of live vicariously through them. That's why the average American spends over three hours a day watching television and uh, about $2,800, $2,800 a year going to movies. There's a wow there. It, it gives a sense of life's full. My life, actual life, may be boring, but I can vicariously experience by their exciting lives. And so we chase after the wow. Truth is, in this fallen state, we're addicted to the wow. If, we're not, if we haven't yet been freed from it, we're addicted to the wow, the sensational, the ooh and the ahs. And it promises fullness of life. And this, folks, is why our lives tend to be, unless we're intentional about doing otherwise, tend to be very cluttered. Uh, uh, Every, every new wow we get, it demands something of us, time and resources and energy and stress. We've got to think about it, got to worry about it, got to gaze at it, got to chase after it. And, and it clutters our life. 
That's why most people find that they just don't have enough time. They're always, they, they serve the, the deity busy, the Lord busy. And they're always, then they don't have any margins. And there's no time really to pour into family or friends or kingdom stuff or whatever. There's, we're just perpetually busy. This is what's behind it. We live in a whirlwind chasing the bigger the better, the more sensational, the more impressive. And in that situation, we can't, we can't hear the whisper with our name on it. We don't make space to hear the whisper with our name on it. It'd be like trying to whisper, it's like trying to whisper something to someone in the middle of a rock concert. They're not going to hear it. The other night, Shelly and I and some friends were listening to this band, and it was really loud. We had to cup our hands and scream into each other's ears just to communicate. And I'm not complaining because it's supposed to be loud, and I like it loud, but you just can't talk very well in the midst of that. So here's this band. It's very, very loud. And if I were to go next to Shelly as he's looking at the band and joining the band or dancing or whatever, it's really, really loud, and I just were to whisper two feet from her or something, Honey, I love you so much. You mean the world to me. She'd just be out there still rocking. She wouldn't have any awareness of that because she's already being overloaded with the sound of the band. Well, folks, especially in Western culture, we tend to live in a rock concert mode. Uh, our life becomes a rock concert where there's, there's this stimulation all over us, busyness all around us, things to do all around us, things to chase all around us, craving more all around us. And as long as there's that kind of static, you can't hear anything that the Spirit's going to whisper. You won't feel the gentle breeze. You're not going to hear that, 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 that breeze that whispers your name. Uh, no, I, I think the Spirit is always talking to us, but we don't hear if our brain is already crammed with other agenda, other plan, other wants, other desires. Looking at the mountain splitting experiences, looking at the fire descending, looking at the earthquake, craving that. No, we're not going to hear the Spirit. And see, the tragedy of this is that God's not in the mountain splitting wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire as impressive as those are. If you want to encounter God, you've got to hear that gentle whisper. And it's in that gentle whisper, in that personal encounter. That's where our love for him becomes inflamed. That's where our relationship becomes deepened. Uh, that's where we are empowered to begin to walk out from the rock that encases us. That's where we're transformed. You're not going to get transformed by chasing after mountain-splitting experiences. They're just not going to turn you upside down. They'll impress you for a little bit, but when they're done, you're going to feel empty and tired and depressed. He's, we've got to make space for these personal encounters that come in the quiet times, in the alone times. Uh, all the spiritual disciplines are about uh, or the, the discipline of no, at least, is about saying no to that whirlwind life. Stepping out of the whirlwind in order to encounter God and to participate with the Spirit in, in our transformation. Um, and there's a number of them that could be talked about. I'm going to close very briefly. What time is it? Very briefly, yes, in seven minutes. I'm going to close by talking about one of them. It is the one that I think is most challenging for us. It's, it's one that uh, is a lifestyle kind of change. Uh, it usually goes by the name Simplicity. The discipline of simplicity is just about saying more, no to more and saying yes to less. It's the discipline of decluttering your life. Uh, letting go of what you're supposed to let go of. It's, it's the discipline of being content with less. So Paul says this in, in Philippians chapter 4. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I'm well fed or I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. He knew contentment. He, he, he knew simplicity. He didn't need stuff to make him happy. Now, Paul is talking about a kind of contentment when he doesn't even have his basic needs met. A kind of contentment you have even when you're hungry. And he's writing this in prison. So he's, he's very hungry and he's in prison and yet he's content. 
that's a pretty spiritually mature person. If you can be content while you're starving to death in prison, you're pretty close to conforming to Christ. Let us be honest here. Um, most of us, that's not where we live. For most of us, the question is not being content while you don't even have your basic needs uh, met. It's being content with the more that we have. Can we settle for that? It, it's, for most of us, the, the, the issue is more along the lines of this. Can we be content with the minimal cable package that we have? When for a mere $25 more, you could get the wow package, the premium package with those sensational sports channels and sensational entertainment channels for a mere 25 Look at that. Look what you're missing. Oh, my gosh. How are you going with all this? And see, it's the same temptation that we face in the garden. Look at this. Check it out. Uh, wow, pizzazz, sizzle. You need this. Look what you're missing without this. This is how advertising works, right? I, they're all about this. Check out this product. Think of what you're missing without this product. Oh, look at this. You need this. It's not just a want. You need it. And, and uh, they pull you in. And they want to pipe this little bug in your brain that will worm its way into your cranium and will never leave you alone because it keeps on asking the question, you know, shouldn't you get that? Especially here in America where we're indoctrinated to believe. We're indoctrinated to believe that if we want it and can afford it, we have a right to it. So if we have a right to it, it feels like our rights are being violated if we don't buy it. So for, for the name of justice, go out and get that new cable thing. <laughs> justice is violated if you're not buying that. Uh, folks, this is how it works. You have a right to it. Now, here's the thing. And this may be good news for some and bad news for others, but it should be good news for all, and as you grow, it will become. But here's the deal. If you surrender to Jesus, you ain't got no rights. Uh, to surrender to Jesus is to surrender your rights. So what that means is that uh, if, if you've surrendered to Jesus... You can't just ask the question, do I want it and can I afford it? That's the American questions. The kingdom question, however, is does Jesus want me to have it? Does Jesus want me to have it? Does Jesus want you to spend the extra $25 to get that special cable thing, to spend more time watching television uh, and, and have better sports channels and whatever? Now, here's the thing. I'm not preaching against cable television. I bet there's somebody who last night or maybe this morning bought an, a, a, a better package and now you're thinking, oh, God told Greg to preach against me. I'm such a wretched sinner. It's not about the, the cable thing, all right? In fact, the, the Bible's really clear that it's not a sin to be wealthy. First Timothy 6 tells us this. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to have more as long as it is all submitted to God. Uh, in which case, fine. Follow his directions on what you can have, what you're supposed to give away, um, and, and all is cool. But all of us have to know, because this is also clearly taught in the New Testament, that we're all called to simplicity. We're all called to have a decluttered life. We're all called to have space in our life where there is time to pour into friends and family, time to pour into kingdom community, time and resources to pour into ministry, uh, time where we're called to do ministry, and time where we can set aside to meet God in the forest, in the special place, and hear our name whispered in the middle of the wind. There's got to be that. And so I encourage all of us to take an inventory. If you're a follower of Jesus, all that you own you're really just doing property management. It's his property. You manage it. And you're supposed to manage it under his authority. So I encourage you to take an inventory and go through everything and ask the question, do I really need it? And does Jesus want me to have it? Um, yeah, just, just say, you know, do I really need that extra shoes, those extra pants, that extra shirt? Those? Shelly, my wife, has been on a kick the last year, kind of obsessive uh, about, you know, simplify, simplify, simplify. She's preaching this like a mantra, simplify. So she's always taking stuff out, giving it away or throwing it away, and she's decluttering the house. And now my assignment is to do that with the, the closet. Uh, and I've got, it's amazing that 
stuff you accumulate over the years if you don't, you know, get, are intentional about getting rid of it. I still have some turtlenecks hanging around. My golly. So, uh, the, and the rule is if you haven't worn it for a year, if you haven't worn it for a year, then probably, unless you feel the Lord's telling you otherwise, you should get rid of it. G- give it to somebody. And so we're doing that. And I, I tell you, it feels good. It feels really, really, really good. You know what I'm talking about? Just to declutter. It always feels good to give stuff away. Okay, that, that always feels good. But just to declutter. So I'm talk about that a lot. It's like having your body detoxed of all the nasty stuff you got in it. It just feels good. It's like you're having a really healthy bowel movement. You know, you just get rid of what you're supposed to get rid of. And it's like, well, I know in decent, in decent company, you're not supposed to even know that people have bowel movements. And I never understood those rules, so I've never listened to them. But it's the only, it's the best analogy I can think of. It's like, oh, get rid of that. Oh. And uh, you young folks who don't quite understand the analogy yet, you will when you're 50, all right? So it's like, yeah, it's just a get rid of it. Just simplify, simplify, simplify. So go through it. Do you really need Are you supposed to have? Does Jesus want you to have that extra, this extra, that thing, whatever it might be? Does God really want you to be going to movies three or four times a month, month putting that money uh, to movies? Or maybe, just maybe, just a suggestion, he might want to say to you, might have you say, hey, why don't you just wait a couple months and then you can go watch the movie at the plaza for one-fifth the cost. And you're supporting Kids at Risk. An absolutely shameless plug. I'll grant that, but, <laughs> but for a good cause. Um, you know, just the, the important thing, or sometimes it's, it's with bigger stuff. I know a few families that wouldn't have made radical, radical changes in their lifestyle uh, as they're simplifying. And you ask the question, are we supposed to, does Jesus want us to be living in this size of a house? Uh, does he want us to be having that extra car with the extra insurance? Are we supposed to be having that boat in the cabin? Are we, and, and see, if God says yes, then that's wonderful. You can enjoy it. But he, he opened the possibility. They'd say, nope, you know, I, I, I want to channel those resources elsewhere. And our job is to listen and to be honest with ourselves and to obey. And sometimes being honest with yourself about something that you're invested in keeping is hard. And so it might be good to invite other kingdom people in on the decision. Discern with me. Am I supposed to be having this? Are, are we supposed to? Whatever he affirms and allows you to have, have and enjoy guilt-free. But whatever you're supposed to get rid of, get rid of. The point is this. Folks, we tend to live in a rock concert mindset, a whirlwind of chasing that clutters up our life and that deafens us to the voice of God. You chase after the wow, the mountain-splitting stuff, the fire-falling stuff, the earthquake stuff. You're not going to hear the gentle whisper with your name on it. But it's in that gentle whisper, see, only when you exit the wow and the rat race and the noise and get quiet in the forest, find your oval of light and lean into the gentle breeze that is where your love for God will get kindled and inflamed. That is where uh, your relationship with him will become deepened. That's where you mature. That's where the rock begins to get chiseled away and the true you begins to be manifested. Um, and so it's vital that we make the space to do this in. And that, folks, is where we answer experientially the question, why are we here? Why are we here? Because, folks, we're not here to chase stuff. We're not here to chase the wall and the pizzazz. We're not here to accumulate toys. Uh, uh, we're not here just to have new sensations. We are here ultimately to enter into a relationship with our creator that will go on forever. We're, we're, to, we're to hear him and, and uh, hear him speak our name and to fall more, more and more in love with him and to be transformed by that love and to walk in his ways and to start right now a relationship that will last forever wherein we just enjoy him enjoying us. It's that love dance. That's why we're here. To experience that, you've got to find that still, small 
voice in the forest. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? Yes. God is good. I pray. Oh, uh, before, as I close, I uh, would like to ask the prayer team to come forward. And if you are here and have any need whatsoever that could use prayer, come on up here and these folks would love to pray with you, all right? Uh, as we leave here, can we do it as a people who say no to the clutter, say no to the chasing, say no to chasing after pizzazz, say no to the gazing that hooks us into wanting and feeling like we need and have a right to. Can we do it as a people, as we sang earlier, who are seeking to have the purity of heart that wills one thing, and that is found when we are one-to-one with our Master, with our Maker, with our Savior, listening to His gentle whisper. He whispers your name out of pure love. Receive it. Be transformed by it in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Go out and love on the world.